0: it is a joy to get to continue the set apart to serve series, and yes. I have just enjoyed the conversations that we've had in this. And I know we've had several conversations. We have a few more conversations to have. I think this one,
1: this one might be my favorite. I'm,
0: I'm But probably because this. of who we're talking to. <laughs> our guest today is kay wolf she is the lcms nominations chairman and she is also active in lwml a featured speaker at events and just i think many people in the lcms probably know who kay wolf is one of my um, friends and
2: (laughs) i think has sat
0: down with us here on the coffee hour before kay welcome to the coffee hour
2: thank you good to be here
0: it is good to get to chat with you this morning and looking forward to talking about encouraging young people to serve in church work vocations. Tell us a little bit about your life in the LCMS. I just mentioned a whole number of things that, that you're involved in. Why is it important to you to serve in all these different capacities in the Lutheran Church, Missouri?
2: In short, because of my mother. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and expounding on that, going to church since a child I know some people say when I hit my children and I hit twins and I'm taking them to church at, you know, three, four weeks old. And they say, why are you bringing kids to church? And I said because I'm here. So Mm -hmm. that's how my mother raised us. We were in church and she encouraged us to participate in whatever was going on in church. And then as I got older, I was Sunday school teacher. I was doing something, and I was noticed by, it was at the time, the director of Black ministry in in the LCMS, and I got involved in a task force in 19, I think it was 1993, and then I was hooked. And then once someone notices you, and I must say that I have some leadership skills, and when it comes to good cop, bad cop, I'm usually the I'm usually the bad cop. You know, also known as the enforcer kind of thing. And yeah. So it it started off with my mother, with my aunts who were involved in the LWML and supporting the church. And it just took off. I, I also worked with Lutheran Hour as a equipping, it was equipping the the saints, then equipping to share. And then it was the witnessing workshops that I was doing for a Lutheran Hour for probably about seven years. But LWML since nine years old. That's when I got my first mic box. Oh, (laughs) yeah. And I I told my mother then she gave me the mic box and I said, oh, give me some money to put in it. And she said, no, it's your mic box. You need to put your money in. So that's when I learned sacrifice. I didn't get much for allowance as it was, and I, I put some in my might box, and that's when I learned mission work as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love hearing your stories and, and all of your, you have so many connections all over our church body currently and, and throughout history, too. You have some connections. I mean, we're talking about raising up church workers and today specifically raising up Black church workers. You have some connections to Rosa Young, too, don't you?
2: yes. Rosa Young, and I knew her as as Auntie Rosa down in Alabama. She, her sister was married to my grandfather's brother. So, and all the, the brothers had their farms right next to each other. So Auntie Rosa would come by and visit. And I had no idea of what she was doing and the impact that she made in the Lutheran church. You know, I knew that she was very strict. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, some of us wouldn't even say, "Oh, she's mean," but she did what she did. She was the enforcer, and she did what she did out of love and knowing that that we could be pushed further or at least led in a direction of church work and higher education so that that also was a driving force because auntie rosa was there and and my aunties were there and i had several several uncles and it was so interesting now it's kind of funny you know if i tell people yeah you know on sunday after uncle percy preached we'd always get a chicken now might have been cooked it might it might have been fried it might have been baked, but it could be live. And people, you know, because that's how they paid him. And we'd always get a pound cake and maybe a fruit pie, some eggs or something. But it was a lot of people encouraging because they looked up to, back in the day, your pastor. You know, he was, if the pastor asked you to do something, you had bragging rights, you know, and not that you should brag, but you would go over and say, ah, Pastor and asked me to lead the Bible study for the kids. And it was like, that was a big deal when the pastor asked you to do something. Or how I got involved in, in teaching Sunday school is working with the, the Sunday school director. And she told the pastor, it seemed like I was ready to start teaching Sunday school and we were never left hanging. We always had our pastor guide us through to make sure that our curriculum was 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 proper and sound. My mother said she wanted me to follow in my Aunt Ivy Skinner's footsteps and to marry a pastor and to play the organ in church. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then there was, <clears throat> excuse me, Mrs. Malone who said she wanted her son to be a pastor. And now Reverend Charles Robert Malone is a pastor, and he worked with our pastor. I think it was Pastor Vanderbloemen at the time. So it was a mother encouraging her son led him to the pastor to talk about it. And Bobby, as I call him, a Pastor Malone worked with the elders in the church and with the pastor and he got excited and then decided that the call for a pastor had come to him. Mrs. Smith who said she wanted her daughter to be a teacher and this is at a young age mothers are are looking at the potential of their children and leading them in a direction of church work. So Mrs. Smith had Harriet is now, you know, well she's retired now but was a Lutheran teacher. So it all starts at home. It starts with parenting and it starts also with the encouragement from the congregation, the people in the church who look at you and say, you know, you you have some leadership skills or you have, you know, the, the potential to be a teacher or, you know, you're so well in Bible study and so devoted and always asking questions. Have you ever considered being a pastor. So that's that's where it starts. And then it it has to continue with the support of the congregation, with the support of the family, of course, and then with the support of the new family that you meet while you're away in school. You can't just leave a person hanging and say, oh, I'm so happy that you're going to seminary to be a pastor and then kind of drop it. You need to follow that person through their journey. That takes me back to to Rosa Young and how she would say, you're going to be a pastor. And if you remember the first Rosa when near the end, when I think it was Reverend McNair Ramsey saying that for the For the boys, she would do a little more and put her hand on their head and say, you are going to be a pastor. And it seemed like they did end up being pastors, most of them. And he said some of them would duck and dodge because they didn't want her to to put her hands on them because just as sure as she would do that, they would be a pastor. But then what she did was find families to help support them financially. It was just a couple of bucks, but a couple of bucks back then went a long way. And it was more than the dollars. It was the, the concern and care that you had for, for the guys, and the girls who went to school. And food is an important part. If you could invite somebody over for a home-cooked meal on Sunday after church, or drop off a basket of some, you know, homemade cookies or pies or something like that to help encourage the young men and women as they're on their journey, you know. Right now at Emmanuel, my home congregation in Dearborn, our Ladies Aid slash LWML group gives our, the guys that are in seminary, we give them money each month. We sign cards. They may have a card with, I think last week, it was 13 of us that gathered. So there were 13 names on that card that went to the guys in the seminary. And once a month, we send them a check also, you know. So
1: Hmm.
2: those are some of the things. And if I'm talking too much, just stop me. I got stories (laughs) I can tell. (laughs) I
1: love your stories. Those are
0: fantastic (laughs) examples. And I I want to talk about a, a, a few more examples in just a moment. Today, we're talking with Kay Wolf as we consider the Set Apart to Serve series here on the Coffee Hour and the Set Apart to Serve initiative, encouraging young people to consider church work. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Gulseff.
0: Do Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: We're continuing our conversation in the Set Apart to Serve series, encouraging young people to consider church work. Our guest today is Kay Wolf. She is LCMS nominations chair and also very active in LWML and a featured speaker at many events as well across the LCMS. And Kay, you've been sharing some great examples of how the congregation has it plays a key role in encouraging young people to consider church work and how parents play a key role. When it comes to encouraging children, particularly in the black community to consider church work. I'd like to hear your perspective on the importance or the value of having those faithful examples of Black, black church workers for them.
2: Mm, you know, that's uh, that's a story that's, that's somewhat bittersweet. As we speak, the Black Clergy Caucus and the Hispanic leaders are meeting in Houston, and they will also be discussing recruitment. And within the Black community, the pastors are aging and retiring, and there are not a lot of young Black men in the seminaries. And about two years ago, I got together on a committee with Reverend Matt Wheatfield from Fort Wayne and Dr. Ben Haupt from St. Louis and also Micah Glenn. Excuse me. And we were talking about the, the bittersweet of it is you have all these men in Black ministry Who are retiring, and we are trying to recruit their children and grandchildren. But sometimes, when you hear the stories of the struggles that the elder Black pastors went through, the younger generation says, Well, why would I want to be a pastor if I have to go through some of the things that go on in the seminary? And and because we are, you know, we know the truth, and the truth will set us free, the truth is. Back in the day, the Black pastors were not treated well in the seminaries, you know. So there are some of the guys that say, I don't want to be a pastor. So that's the hard part there. But then there are those who say, okay, I I feel the call. The Lord is nudging me in that direction. What can you tell me about your past that I can avoid in the future? And then also working with the guys from the seminary now who know that that has gone on and does sometime continue to go on. They're looking out for that as we try and identify young men to go into to the seminary. And it's not just the, the African-American men. Our committee is looking at, indeed, anybody that we consider underrepresented in the LCMS. So that's our African immigrant, Hispanic, and you know, African American. It's a struggle. And also one thing that we're preying on and, and trying to do, uh, we're looking at churches that are closing and ways that we can keep them open. Because if we recruit and get, you know, all these pastors of every Color and, and ethnic group to go into the seminary, and the young women to go to be teachers. When they come out, will there be a place for them to? You know, the churches are closing, and after COVID, people are sitting at home. I know somebody that says that they just reach over and grab the remote when they wake up in the morning and join service and haven't been back since the church opened up. So we, we pray for that because we do want to continue meeting together, you know, as we are accustomed. Also, at one of the multi-ethnic symposium groups, and we were talking about recruitment, a, an Asian lay leader stood up and said, you've got to recruit some Chinese people for the seminary because we have an old Chinese congregation and, and they will not accept anybody but a Chinese pastor. And my response to that was, well, where are your sons? Where are your grandsons and your nephews? Because the seminary is there. They do help in in sharing some information about what we can use to encourage people to come to the seminary, you know, about tuitions and grants and other opportunities, but it's for them to teach the theology, and I think it's for the congregation. It's for the moms and pops and grandmas and grandpas to encourage these their young men and women to go into church work. And then it is up to the community and the congregation to teach the culture. So I encourage this young man to accept whatever faithful pastor that the seminary send, sends their way and then teach the culture to that pastor. You have to, I think, work together in this recruitment. It's, it's on everybody to, to look, keep your eyes open, and see if you can identify somebody that you can encourage and walk with them on their journey.
1: What is the need for Black pastors in our communities? What have you seen in, in your discussions with people, in your conversations with people, all of the work that you've done with the multi-ethnic symposium and, and meeting people? What is that need that you've been able to see?
2: They're in people's conception, they in some of the, the Black congregations, they want a Black pastor. And my question is always, why? Now, if you have a Black pastor that is available, but I'm telling them, just get a, pray for a faithful pastor to come to your congregation. You're not always going to get what you want. There's a shortage, but there are those who still want, you know, I've got to have a Black pastor. And we had that situation with my husband, who was a vacancy pastor somewhere at a Black congregation, and they loved him to death but they wanted a Black pastor. And so when they did call a Black pastor, there were several people who, you know, Pastor Wolf, I really love you and wish you could stay here, but the congregation was, you know, all bent on having a Black pastor. So, and some, there are some congregations that just will accept and welcome a pastor of any color, but there are still those, and those are the ones that are older, in an older congregation who feel the need to have a Black pastor thinking that, of course, he would know the culture and the customs, and that's something that they would not have to to teach him. So the, I would say it's not a need, it's a desire mm-hmm. to have a Black pastor. But as I'm going, I'm telling people, just pray for a faithful pastor to come and lead your flock. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. What are some of those things that congregations can do to recruit people that are outside of their close communities to reach people with the gospel to raise up church workers in order to serve all these congregations? It's, you know, it's a network and people still
2: have those connections from their Southern roots all the way to everywhere they have been spread out. So I know people, young ladies who have Bible studies with their sisters who live in three different states, and then that pipeline can lead to other people joining in on their Bible studies. They have morning devotions together. There are so many people now that are having Zoom Bible studies and phone Bible studies And then you invite your who maybe is unchurched and offer them some coffee or tea and crumpets to sit with you before or after. And then after the Bible study, you can sit there and talk about Jesus, get to know that person and trust that that person will get to know Jesus through you. And it doesn't have to be your next door neighbor. It can be a friend of yours that lives in Mobile, Alabama. Because with phones and zooms, there's really no excuse for connecting people. We just have to have that desire to do so. And that takes a lot of prayer and and some patience. But you would then reach a, a lot of people. and I think personal is the best is the best way. that hug that we, missed so much during COVID that we can now start doing again, of course, with people's permission. So reaching out to the gospel or reaching out to people with the gospel, it takes guts sometimes. Some people don't want to talk about it or share it, or they're afraid that someone is going to ask them something that they can't answer. And from that I say we have the LWML app on our phones <laughs> and it has the Bible on it and we can go there and we can look up scripture and we can read what the Lord says you know to that person. So so it takes guts and it takes time and you have to have the desire to do so and I think that so many people do have that desire and and they're starting to to get out there and proclaim the gospel more and more which is like really exciting you know it's like how many bible studies can i do in a week hmm okay i can i can squeeze in another one you know so yeah
0: <laughs> with our seminaries and concordia universities offering support for financial support for church work programs such as scholarships and tuition full tuition for some of the mm-hmm. programs as well what does that mean for potential church workers um, coming from a variety of communities? What does the, that support look like? Did, I don't know if everybody realizes that the support that's available for church work students. What do you think about that, Kay?
2: I'm glad that they have it, but there is, when they say 100% tuition, they get money from here, there, and everywhere, which is great. But then there are other expenses such as your books your housing, and there are a lot of second career guys out there, thank the Lord, that are coming in to the seminaries with families. So the tuition is great, but also if the congregation can help out with, and each of the seminaries has their uh, clothing co-op, they have their food pantries. That's wonderful. We can keep those stocked at no expense to the church worker, that would be great. And then again, the congregation, you know, we're supporting somebody that I don't even know. So, okay, we asked, give us give us a name. We have two guys in our congregation that are in Fort Wayne, but we said we can support another one. So we asked for a name of a St. Louis seminarian. And we were given a name and we're sending him signed cards and money every month. So you don't have to know that person to support that person. The tuition is great. But Chicago, which where my granddaughter originally wanted to go, I think like $48,000 a year. And they were going to give her, I think, 22 in, in scholarships. So that's still a lot of money to make up which, you know, me and Papa said, we, you know, bite the bullet. I won't go to Africa again. I'll give her the money. (laughs) (laughs) But that's it too. It's a sacrifice, but it has to be a pleasing sacrifice, something that you can do without, you know, crying over, but just, just decide that that's what you're going to do. You're going to find someone. You're going to adopt that someone as your own, just like we are all children of, of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to start acting like it a little bit more than we are doing. LWML also offers a lot. We've got our church workers out on our website. You can go and see how we're trying to support church workers, make it easier for them, where we have our prayer service and some materials, litany response, read, you know, Bible studies and devotions and retreat packages that are already there for you that have gone through doctrinal review that some of the church workers can pick up and use in their congregations. And especially, you know, some of them just coming out of seminary with, you know, what what to do or coming out of one of the Concordias with, you know, what to do. And we have the grants, of course, that you can request. To give you some support in your ministry, so there are a lot of ways that we can help. Call me, you know. Find, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, you know. I will tell you. I will talk. Talk to the guys at the seminary. Talk, you know. We talked to some of the deaconesses in it, uh, in Fort Wayne, St. Louis, and in Chicago. We talked to some of the deaconesses. Go talk to people. Give them a call. Go and visit some of the campuses, get a group of people, but get your church involved to help support. That's the way we did it in the old days. The pastor would take guys to conferences with him so that they would know what was going on. You know, the teachers would take some of the young women to some of the conferences with them so they could know what would, What they might be getting into if they decided to go into church work. So we need to look at what our moms and dads did and our Rosa Youngs did Mm -hmm. and start doing that same kind of thing again and, and prayerfully, you know, be led by the Lord and listen to his call you know mama can say all she wants that I want you to do this that and the other and in the end it's our heavenly father that will direct us to where he wants us to be yeah
0: okay thank you so much for being a part of the set apart to serve series here on the coffee hour it's always a delight to talk with you and we really appreciate you spending some time with us today
2: hey I enjoy hanging out with you guys too thank you for (laughs) inviting me
0: You've been listening to the coffee hour. I'm Eddie Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.